This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. In the know, non-stop Vikings talk, it's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Football. Hey, and welcome into Purple Access as, uh, as um, we rotate our analysts, co-hosts, of course, Chip Scott is the Star Tribune, and Tyler Fornis, who joins us today, Vikings Wire, Vikings Wire. Uh, Wire.com, also the writing home of Sports Dad as well, Ross Brendel producing for us. And uh, Forno, as we get into a, the discussion, here's what I want to start you off with, because I've got a question about this. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, clearly the Vikings are going to be, in, and rightfully so until we know what's going to happen with Kirk Cousins, going to be linked to quarterbacks in the first round, possibly the second round. But my question is this, as we start this process now, and you've got Senior Bowl coming up, You've got probably more importantly the combine, uh, the physicals that will be done there, uh, and then the pro days. How much do you think this quarterback class is going to, not at the very top, but after that, fluctuate? And my main question is, it feels like to me in seeing mock drafts thus far, Michael Penix has been all over the place. As for, And look, he's got the two knees, uh, ACL reconstructions, so there's a reason for that. But mm-hmm. how much more do you think that's going to, especially in his case, fluctuate now as we do get into the key off-season dates that are to come before the draft? Look, you're ready for a wild ride. You might, you might as well board the wild thing in Valley Fair because it, it's going to be a roller coaster. And the the interesting thing about like that second tier of quarterbacks, because you have your top tier, uh, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels. The only way any one of them is falling down is if they get charged with a felony or there's some kind of degenerative um, body part that we just mm-hmm. have no idea about there. Uh, I don't see a situation where any of those guys falls out of the top 10, unless we see something extreme. So tier one is all set tier two. It, you're going to have a lot of mixed opinions on all these guys. Bonex. I have a low four or sorry. I have a fourth round grade on him. I, I don't think he's a guy you want to project as an NFL starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. I see uh, NFL.com's Lance Zerline uh, just post on Thursday morning that uh, he has a, uh, he believes he's a top 10 pick. J.J. McCarthy, I have a mid-second on. Same with Michael Penix. Based on medicals, I'd feel comfortable taking him in the back end of the first round. Not everybody's going to be like that. And to me, that conversation is going to determine on your thoughts of these guys. And the skill set alone. So if you isolate the skill set and you don't talk about Michael Penix's injuries, first round caliber quarterback, like back in the first round, you trade up, you want that fifth year option. 
I think that's valuable. And I think it's a smart play. Mm-hmm. But you can't always look at things in a vacuum. You can't always look at things as, hey, it's just a play on the field. It's not. So if the medicals, they come back clean, you could see Penix going round one, see him going around two or three. I know a good friend of mine, NBC Sports' Connor Rogers, loves Michael Penix and believes he's a first-round quarterback and thinks he's a phenomenal fit with the Vikings. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite on that same level, but I get the thinking. So over the course of the next few months, and it's something that I've been doing with Vikings Wire and our mock draft roundup, I take industry mocks from respected sites and people, and I collect them. So far, we have 39 mock drafts, seven picks for Michael Penix, nine for UCLA UCLA Edge, Laiatu Latu. Both have massive medical concerns, but we don't know about how bad they are. We're going to find out with trickling out information. Because remember a couple years ago, Nevada quarterback Carson Strong, he was saying that his knees were fine. Half of them were saying they were a ticking time bomb. We're not going to truly know because everybody's going to want their own information out there. So it's going to be very interesting to see how things track. And one of the reasons why I do the mock draft roundup, because it's interesting to see how things change throughout the course of that four month period. And I don't think there's going to be any certainty with this quarterback class in tier two until really close to the NFL draft. Outside of the obvious with a a guy like Penix, which is just the conditions of his knees and and Mm -hmm. his body outside of that, as the system starts to play out and unfold, what do you think are the biggest question marks about tier two? Like, like as we take the McCarthy's and Penix's and to your point, Nick's, um, as scouts start to watch them, what what do you think they're going to see? And and I guess more importantly, what do you think they're going to be looking for the most that maybe the game film does not show them? Let's start with J.J. McCarthy. The question is going to be, why didn't Michigan trust him more? And you could make the argument, and I think this will end up being the answer because mm-hmm. it's a Jim Harbaugh coach football team. Harbaugh has never truly trusted a quarterback to be the alpha. He really didn't do with Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck just played great in his system. And it's about the team. It's about power football, running the ball, play great defense. And your quarterback is almost like an extra. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's just how he likes to play football. And there's merit to that. Like J.J. McCarthy only played. uh, He only threw the ball 10 times in a nine point win against Penn State. One of their like two biggest regular season games of the year. Yeah. Why didn't they throw the football? They didn't need to. The running game was dominant. So you look at that and you're like, okay, well, why didn't they really put the ball in his hands at all? It's because they didn't have to. And when he actually was asked to do some things against Alabama, against Washington, he played well. So it's trying to contextualize. Can he actually be that alpha? I think he can. But it's easy to look at the whole picture and be like, there's just too many question marks. I want to stay away. Penix, to me, it's about the mechanics. If you take the injuries out of it, he is not consistent with his footwork. He has a little bit of a sidearm delivery, which when you throw a sidearm and you don't have great mechanics, that ball can easily sail. That's why you want like the three-quarter delivery. Like over the top is just like straight over. Not a ton of guys do that anymore, especially with the off-platform stuff. So you see a lot of three-quarter releases. Mm -hmm. Like sidearm, it, it just presents problems when you're not mechanically sound. And Penix isn't mechanically sound. He doesn't transfer his weight great. 
He he will oftentimes just have uh, feet that aren't completely situated. And sometimes it just doesn't matter. But everything starts with your base. Everything starts with your feet. If your feet are in sync and proper, your arm will follow. It also helps you generate arm strength. Penix has a great arm, but he could have a better one just by, just by doing some of those little things. And that's going to be a big question. And with Nick's, it's about contextualizing the offense he ran in Oregon. Why was he running such a basic high school offense? Right. Why was he only doing one read and go stuff? Why wasn't he doing full field progressions? Why weren't they trusting him to attack the intermediate levels of the field with any form of consistency? Why were, was he throwing an insane amount of screen passes? His average depth of target was 6.9 yards. That's low on the NFL end. In the college end, all of his contemporaries in this class are at 10 or higher. Mm. So you're looking at it. Why is he doing all these things? Why are all these things manifesting the way they are? To me, it's because Knicks can't do a lot of those things that you want. In college, you try and make everything easy. But if you have the guy, you can add more complicated stuff. And that more complicated stuff can really help take things to the next level. Because how college spacing works, it's so easy to manipulate space get great skill players in there and let them go. But if you are a great quarterback, you can elevate that. That's not Bo Nix. Bo Nix is not a guy who's going to elevate everything around you. His best case scenario is he gets Kyle Shanahan and Shanahan just say, do a seven strap drop, throw it here. Let Debo Samuel do things. <laughs> That's going to be Bo Nix's best case scenario in the NFL, in my opinion. And that like you're going to have to answer those questions with all three of these guys. Then you throw in Tulane's Michael Pratt, who is a true dual threat guy, but he does not have the arm strength to drive it to the outside numbers. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Teddy Bridgewater in that sense, where he's got all the tools. He's got the intelligence. He's got the legs. Mm -hmm. He's a better runner than Bridgewater was, but the lack of arm strength to be able to drive it is going to limit him in the NFL. Interesting stuff. So of all of the uh, potential deficiencies that you just brought up, what do you think is the easiest to ultimately correct? Like like with Penix and the mechanics, how easy is is that to correct? And which of the which of the guys that you just also broached do you think Kevin O'Connell would have the best chance of working with? And actually, from what we know about them and have seen, fit into what O'Connell does offensively. See the thing with like uh, with Penix and his mechanics. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they can be fixed okay? because I don't Fair. know how much of that is injury related. I don't, none of it might be injury related. It's a variable. Uh, it's yep. like he's two years away from his last torn ACL. And when you're two years out, like theoretically, everything should be hundred percent. Everything you should be able to have it fixed. Like I, I had an emergency appendectomy and I've got a giant scar down, down my abdomen. But within six weeks, I was sitting up normal. I was walking normal. Like it, you have that kind of trauma. Eventually, you just start to regain your normal senses. Well, in this situation, he should easily have been able to regain all of those pre-ACL tear mechanics and those little nuances. Well, why isn't his footwork crisp? Why isn't he having that kind of weight transfer that you want to see? Why does he still have problems with his base? And you have to ask, is it related to the torn ACLs? If it is, that's a big problem. 
If it's not, you're still looking at a 24 year old quarterback who you basically have to spend all of mini camp training camp, really working and focusing on his footwork. And if you have to focus that much on his footwork, you might not be able to get him into like week six. If you're planning on playing him as rookie year. So right. there are variables like that to look at. And it's a tough one. It really is. I'm not quite sure if, if you can trust the guy like Penix to be able to make that kind of leap and be the guy right away. But then if you're bringing him in to be a developmental guy, he's going to be 25 years old. His first year as a starter where right. I, I was a little less concerned about that with Jaron Hall because one, he's a fifth round pick Two, a two year Mormon mission means two less years of football hits on your body. That makes a difference for football players because it's almost like two years of rest in, in comparison to, you know, the daily grind of football. So I, I just, I have concerns that what you see is going to be hard to really truly develop and take to another level. And you know what? On the flip side, it could just be that the coaches just didn't work with him on the things that right. the NFL coaches would. Right. So it's all variables and all questions that this coaching staff is going to have to answer. And all I can go off of is what I see on film and conjecture and projection, because that that's what makes this business so hard. That's why you get things wrong so often because mm-hmm. you have such incomplete information and you can only go off what you have. So from a starting point of, of um, Nick's and McCarthy. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you're a scout, if you're a team and you like both players, but, but have questions, what scares you more? Bo Nix, who clearly has talent, but wasn't asked to, to your point, wasn't asked to do a lot. So there's not a lot on film that that is that you look at and say, oh, okay, uh uh-huh. You might like what he did, but again, to your point, it's very simple. Or McCarthy, who wasn't necessarily trusted. Which, Which scares you off more as a scout? All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. I think it's about contextualizing the why behind both of those. And when I look at Bo Nix, he's 23 years old, which that to me, that doesn't matter too much. What does matter to me is he has the most starts in the history of college football. And he's, this is what he is. I don't think you're going to be able to develop that player very much. JJ McCarthy, two year starter turns 21 on the day. This drops Saturday, the 20th. Mm -hmm. He's going to be 21 years old. That to me, it's going to be a lot easier to develop him because I believe at the college level, McCarthy has 27, it's 27 or 28 starts and he's lost one game. And that was against TCU in the college football playoff last year. That's, I feel pretty good about that. I really do. And I I feel good about being able to develop him like in a vacuum because you have a younger player who has less, um, less tread on the tires per se, because it's not just about how many games you've played and how many passes you've thrown in games. Each practice you're throwing like hundred, 200 balls. Mm-hmm. And then not to mention your own training on the side. Like when uh, I remember when Tim Tebow came out, everybody was talking about the arm motion and 
it they said it takes around 10,000 reps to fully change some of those mechanics because you're dealing with muscle memory and right. you're dealing with throwing consistently. It's a difficult thing to do. So when you have a younger guy who has that less tread, so to speak, it's going to be a lot easier to change some of those things and modify it for the next level. I, I would rather take the bet on McCarthy over Knicks because of some of those reasons. And also, I just think McCarthy is a better player. I, I just don't believe in Bo Nix whatsoever. Forno on a lot of these players, there's still a lot of great evaluation time with the Senior Bowl coming up. Throw in the East-West Shrine game just a few days before that. I spent a good chunk of my Saturday watching the Hula Bowl go Team Ina. I think we had Brian Billick and Mike Smith coaching teams last mm-hmm. Saturday. How much do you value the games versus the practices? And when you look at a Hula Bowl or an East-West Shrine game, how valuable is that in comparison to the Senior Bowl, which always seems to steal all of the headlines when it comes to these postseason all-star games and showcases first off ross welcome to being a sicko only yeah. sickos watch the hula bowl um it's it's oh, just ross on a Sale. different level um look i'll be honest i don't really value the games at all uh all-star games everything you're doing is very vanilla everything you're doing is basic stuff because you don't exactly have a lot of time and this will be my fourth year at the senior bowl i i'll be there uh monday through thursday because i don't stay for the game it's money out of my pocket and quite frankly you don't get a lot from the game you just don't so when i'm looking at it i want to see how these guys interact against their contemporaries it's about looking like you belong and looking like you're at the top and like you can see things that you wouldn't necessarily see on film because it's a different environment and you're doing different things So guys who are particularly, let's talk about air raid wide receivers. You're running based on timing and you're running a very simple route tree. That's a lot of hitches, a lot of outs, a lot of drags, a lot of goes. You're not doing a lot of nuance. It's very structured, very strict in how you're supposed to execute some of these things. So when you get to the senior bowl, hey, line up against that dude and get open. You can show a little bit more of what you have. And a guy like Tank Dell last year, 5'8", 100 and, I think he was 163 pounds. He looked like the best separator at the Senior Bowl because of how quick he used his feet. He was able to get off the line of scrimmage without seeing press coverage, which a lot of co- co- uh, receivers in college don't see a ton of press coverage because of how defenses play and how they have to utilize spacing. So when you see press coverage, okay, This guy should just get beaten up because he's so small. Well, he's so quick and nimble off the line of scrimmage. It didn't matter. And he was just able to create separation right away. Goes to the NFL. Looks like an all rookie team member before he breaks his leg. So you can see some of those things and you see how they do against players who are better because you can go up levels of college football. There's a running back from New Hampshire, Dylan Labe, who is a true dual threat out of the backfield. Uh, caught 68 passes this year, ran for nearly a thousand yards on top of that, had about 1500 uh, all purpose yards. You can see a guy like that go up in a level of competition and how he's going to match up and how he's going to look. And I take so much value from practices, but at the end of the day, you have to contextualize it with the film. Okay. He's doing this in practice. Why wasn't he doing it on film? Oh, he wasn't asked to do it. Okay. So now you have an answer or 
hey, he was doing this on film, but he didn't do it in Mobile. Okay, why? And it's just another piece to the puzzle. I put practices about five per, five to 10% of like a total evaluation because you can learn a lot. But at the end of the day, if you're not doing it during the games and you, and you can't answer like, oh, this is just a scheme thing, then you have an issue. And that to me raises a little bit of a red flag. And it's just a, another part of the process. Like the combine is probably about 10% of it. Like from our perspective, from the teams, it's probably like 30 or 40% because you get FaceTime. You right. get to talk to them. You get to know them as a person, as a human. And, and you get the sense of who they are, what they're going to be, and how they're going to uh, uh, assimilate into a locker room setting. That matters more than just the overall testing because testing, you just need to make sure that you're a good enough athlete. Like Puka Nakua tested okay-ish, and he he was like a second-team All-Pro as a rookie, fifth-round yeah. pick. Like some things matter and some things don't, and it's it's they're all just pieces to a giant puzzle. Yeah, the forty is my is my favorite and or least favorite thing because football speed isn't you know consistently how quick can I run in in a straight line? It's how how well can I run my routes? And mm-hmm. those routes, by the way, stop and start at times. You touch on the combine thing, and I think this is a, this also takes place at the senior bowl, but with a much smaller class, Tyler. And that's this. The FaceTime, to me, is so intriguing because teams obviously value that, but they can't get fooled. And and I know that there has long been a frustration, too, that the that the kids, the draft prospects, are coached up, excuse me, by their agents. And so, like, the teams are always concerned about how much coaching, like, are, are we getting the real answers from the kid or does the kid sort of know what the questions are going to be? And I thought it was the one thing that Spielman did that I found intriguing was back in the day, he would have the top 30 thing. He would mm-hmm. have all the players come in at that time to Winter Park at once and spend time together and eat together to get a feeling for how they acted, not with the executives and coaching staff, but with each other. So, like, I do think that the FaceTime thing is really intriguing because it's important, um, but it also has to be taken with a grain of salt or or at least a skeptical eye of what mm-hmm. you're learning about the person as opposed to what the person's trying to be if they're trying to be too polished. Absolutely. And when you go to the Senior Bowl, they have a media breakfast, which I find hilarious. The media breakfast is at, like, 4 o'clock this year. It's not in the morning, uh, which, I'll be honest, is better for us but it's just funny that it's still called the media breakfast. So when you talk to these guys, you can tell that they're coached up and you can tell that they have like canned answers. It's almost like uh, politicians at a town hall meeting. You have your stump speech. You yeah. have the answers that you give from that stump speech and it feels more robotic than it feels natural. And every once in a while, you'll get somebody who will just talk to you candidly and talk to you off the cuff and just be genuine and honest. And sometimes you have to go off the record for that. I got I got some good off the record stuff from a player last year just because I was like, look, man, I, I just want this off the record. I'm just genuinely curious. And then they gave me some real answers. Mm-hmm. But th- these these guys are taught to kind of be robotic and not do that because you have a lot of inexperienced people who get credential for the senior bowl. You have a lot of people who are an- asking weird questions. 
But then you'll get uh, uh, Will McDonald, who is the first round pick uh, for the New York Jets, who literally stood around and talked about anime with it, with just analysts for about 25 minutes. He was just having a blast. So it, it's it's cool to see some of that. But you also have to understand that the, to us, like we're going down for content because that's that's what our job and responsibility is. Sure. To them, this is a, a business interview. Right. This is it's a four month long process that's draining and just really difficult. So you have to it just kind of keep one eye open, per se. You have to let them say their piece, but also understand I'm not going to call it BS, but it's a lot of it's not going to be truly genuine because they have to be careful on how they say things. So. Last thing, it looks like uh, Brian Brian Flores will be back as the Vikings DC Forno. With if you were Brian Flores and you're working today and you take in a list of positional personnel needs uh, to Quasi and Kevin O'Connell, give me your top three things from a position of need, and let's let's assume for a second that Hunter comes back. So y- you do have a really good edge there. But, you know, defensive tackle, edge, linebacker, safeties, which he clearly has used as as hybrid linebackers too, cornerback. What would be your top three areas as this process gets started if you're Flores and had a wish list just from a personnel standpoint? Absolutely. So I actually broke this down on the Real Forno show, uh, which you can check out on my YouTube channel, Vikings First nice. School. And I also wrote out wrote an article about it just kind of breaking down the overall needs. So the top three overall needs, it's it's quarterback, defensive line, edge rusher, one, two, three. And if you're just going to talk about defensive positions, I want a big boy nose tackle. I want yeah. a five technique and I want an edge rusher. Those are the three individual spots that I need filled. Harrison Phillips, really good football player. He is playing out of position. He is not a nose tackle in this style of defense. And Mm -hmm. he played admirably well, and he looked really good at times. But he's also not playing the the best position for him. To me, that matters. Because if you're not playing at your optimal spot, that's going to impact you and how well you can do moving forward. Uh, So getting a big boy, a Uh 350-pound nose tackle, the old school guys, Pat Williams, the Ted Washingtons, like we had one in Michael Pierce and Michael Pierce did not want to play in the Ed Donatel defense. Understandable. He goes right. to Baltimore. He's still really good. Right. You got to get that guy. There's a couple guys in this draft. One of them is Tavondre Sweat from Texas. You can get him in the second round. Not the sexiest pick, but sometimes you have to eat your vegetables. And this is going to be an eat your vegetables kind of pick because it's, it's going to make an impact on Phillips. It's going to make an impact on the running game. And yep. he can, he has a little bit of pass rush prowess too. You also want to find a five technique because I think you still want Harrison Phillips as a true defensive tackle where you get like Cam Hayward for the Steelers plays that defensive end. You line up right over the tackle. You're not an edge rusher, but you're not truly in like a real interior guy. It's that it's, it's that different level. Like Everson Griffin played five technique for the Vikings, but it was in a four, three. So he was still an edge guy, mm-hmm. but you play that spot 300 pounder. 
you get that guy like it's what Dean Lowry was expected to do essentially but Lowry like the idea of Lowry is fine but he did not play very well and then he tore his pack so you have you get that guy in there and then you need to find an edge rusher I truly think Daniel Hunter's staying I don't think he's going anywhere Mm -hmm. I think both sides are motivated to get a deal done and I think they're going to get it done before he hits free agency. I, there is a part of me that believes he wants to hit free agency, but then you hear him talk. He's like, I want to be here. I want to stay here. When Daniel talks, everything that comes out of his mouth just feels genuine. It feels real. It doesn't feel like coach speak. It doesn't feel like he's blowing smoke. Just feels like he's a guy that really doesn't want to talk to the media. And when he does, he's just going to be honest with you. So I believe he's staying. You still have to find that other guy. DJ Wanham, free agent. Marcus Davenport, free agent. Yep. No matter what you think about either of those guys, they're still gone. And you have to find that guy opposite. Pat Jones, right. he's fine, but he's not really a, at a starter level right now. Could he get there? Maybe. But at this point in time, I don't believe he's going to. So mm-hmm. you have to find that guy. Is that guy in free agency? Is that guy at 11? Because there is a decently sharp drop off after that top tier of edge. And it's going to be harder to find one later in the draft. But then what do you do with quarterback? In my opinion, free agency is for filling needs. The draft is for finding talent and you just figure it out later because talent is what's most important and you don't want to force a need. Ross, final thoughts, questions from you. I'm all over a defensive tackle. I I think that's a massive issue for this team. Not only is running the ball an issue, stopping the run is an issue. I would be all over that and for that. And I do want to circle back really quickly to when we talked about the postseason all-star games. I Mm -hmm. think with what I think what hurts is the average fan. And I don't mean that as a negative term, but the average fan really only sees those games if they choose to watch them. So they don't see the Mm -hmm. practices. They don't see all the interviews. So you might watch a game and go, well, this guy's not very good. Then you see your team drafts them and you get super upset. So when it comes to this, I love exactly what you talked about, Forno. It's you have to take everything. You take all the ingredients and make it one piece of the pie or one whole Mm -hmm. pie, right? You have to take the practices. You have to take the film. You have to take the interviews. You have to take their game performance. And by game performance, I mean in season. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I just I thought that was a brilliant answer. I hope everybody got as much out of that as I did. I really appreciate you breaking that down for us, for those who don't get there and are just the sickos watching the game. And yes, let's go out and get a uh, run-stopping tackle, but also still find the, uh, in my opinion, the future at quarterback one way or another. Absolutely. Now, when it talks, I'll wrap this up because I know we we want to get out of here, but when you're talking about evaluations, You have to start with the film. Then you have to look at some of the deep analytical numbers that contextualize the film. And you can see, okay, he does better at this than I thought, or he does. He's not quite as good as it because numbers help you contextualize what you see. And then you do all the variable stuff. You do the senior bowl, you do the combine because at the end of the day, if they can't play football, but they test well, it really doesn't matter because you can't play football. Like, There are guys who test really well. There are track guys who try to come in and play. They're not very good because it's just different. So everything needs to be contextualized and put into uh, like this vat. 
And that vat is going to tell you whether you think they're going to be worth a, a certain price or not. You stir it all up, Forno? It's it's Hocus Pocus 2, baby. Let's go. And then you pray a lot. Great stuff, boys. Purple Access, we're done. Uh, back next week, obviously. And also uh, check out all of the Score Norris shows. Purple Daily, um, Mackie and Judd, Twin Show, Flagrant Howls, Judd's Hockey Show. I could go on and on, but I won't. See you guys later.